I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. On this episode of Newt's World, Herschel Woody Williams was the last survivor of the 472 servicemen who were awarded the Medal of Honor in World War II, and he was the oldest living recipient. He died on Wednesday, June 29th, in Huntington, West Virginia, at the age of 98. Corporal Williams fought in the Battle of Iwo Jima, a battle we will always remember because of the iconic photo of the six Marines raising a large American flag on Iwo Jima, taken by Joe Rosenthal of the Associated Press. At the time the flag was being raised, it was five days into the battle. Corporal Williams was a 21-year-old Marine from West Virginia, and he spent that afternoon using flamethrowers to wipe out seven Japanese pillboxes, opening an area where Marine tanks and personnel carriers could break through the enemy defenses. I had the privilege and honor of talking with Herschel Woody Williams on Newt's World on Memorial Day in 2019. And I wanted to take the time to honor his legacy by replaying that interview for you now. So let me go back and start right at the beginning. Why did you join the Marines? Well, I really joined the Marines uh, to protect my country because we lived out in the country. We had no radio at the time and no newspaper. The word of uh, mouth was that there were a, a group of people that was trying to take our country away from us and our freedom. 
So I joined the Marine Corps really to protect those things, not to fight a war. I didn't know anything about war, never dreaming that I would be going to the South Pacific and uh, have to get involved in combat. That, that certainly was not part of my desire at that time. So you just felt like it was your duty as a patriot? Yes, indeed. My freedom and uh, my country was important to me, and I certainly didn't want to lose that. And there were a lot of uh, we country boys who uh, didn't know any more than that that went into the military for that particular purpose. As I said, we didn't know. We'd never been involved in war. None of my family had ever been in war. So we knew nothing about it. And the only thing I did know or we were told is, you know, we could lose our country. We could lose our freedom if these people were to take it over. And I certainly didn't want that to happen. So I joined the Marine Corps to protect it. Well, if you don't mind my asking, my dad served 27 years in the infantry in the Army, and I'm just curious what why you picked the Corps, which, of course, is a wonderful institution, but I just have to ask that as an Army brat. During the peacetime Depression years, we had a couple fellows from our country community who, in order to make a living, joined the Marine Corps. At that time, they only had one enlistment period. You had to go for six years. And the Marine Corps also had a height requirement. You had to be so tall, five foot eight, or you couldn't get in the Marine Corps. But they went in the Marine Corps actually to make a living. They would come home on a 30-day furlough one time a year. That's the only time they ever got home. And when they came back to the community, they were required by the Marine Corps to wear their dress blue uniform. And it was so much more attractive than that ugly Army uniform, that old wool uniform that they had. And girls would kind of look to them rather than anybody else when they were in the community. So I guess those two things influenced me. I wanted to look like a Marine, and maybe I could get me a good-looking girl that way. That's great. Did it work? Did you get a good-looking girl? Well, not at that time. I finally did get me a good-looking girl, and... We were married for 63 years, so yeah. You were like 19, almost 20 when you signed up. So you were really making a big decision, you volunteered, to be a demolition sergeant, which was a pretty dangerous and pretty impressive position with, you know, flamethrowers and explosives and things. Did you volunteer or did the Corps volunteer you? Well, the Corps volunteered me. I was basically a rifleman. I was on the island of Guadalcanal when the flamethrower came out. I was a what we called back in those days a BAR man, a Browning Automatic Rifle person, and that was my job. But when the flamethrower came out, they had to establish another unit to handle the flamethrower and teach us how to use it, and at the same time teach us how to do demolition because if you couldn't burn it up, then you had to learn how to blow it up. So we did both. And so they trained me in that way and put us in a special unit so that when we got into combat, if the platoon leader or the company commander needed a cave sealed with explosives, we could do that for him. Or if they needed a flamethrower to put flame in a cave or in a pillbox, we could do that. 
So that's how we got to be, and it was one of those, you have volunteered. So Okay, so having volunteered wasn't, as I remember it, wasn't carrying a flamethrower dangerous? Well, yes, it was, because you're carrying 70 pounds of weight on your back. You've got four and a half gallons of fuel, uh, flammable fuel on your back with an air tank that's got about 1,700 PSI in it. So, yes, it was dangerous, and you couldn't very well walk upright with them when you were in combat. You were on your belly crawling more than you were up walking because you made such a big target. And I've been told, and there is no statistics for this, I don't think, that the average lifespan of a flamethrower, once they got into combat, was five minutes. How I survived, I have to give God credit for that because I don't know. So you took place in two very different kind of battles at Guam and then at, at Iwo Jima. How would you compare those two just as fights? Altogether differently because Guam was almost all jungle. And going through the jungle, we even had to have in areas machetes to cut our ways through the jungle to advance. And on Iwo Jima, they had bombed that thing for day after day after day, and there was nothing standing in the way of shrubbery or trees or bushes or anything like that. And the commanding general of Iwo Jima, according to the record, and I'm just quoting record, he had constructed various size pillboxes, and there were about 200 of them on the island, and that was going to be his principal way of defense, was to put his troops, he had about 22,000 of them on Iwo Jima, put his troops either in caves, and they had miles and miles of tunnel uh, hollowed out in that island, or in a box where they were protected, and we were in the opening, in the open area. So that was his defense to keep us from being able to take the island. So you went in, it's one of the most uh, difficult and bloodiest fights of the Second World War for the Americans. You go in as one of the key elements in taking out these pillboxes. That's the whole point of the flamethrower at that point, isn't it? That's right, yeah. What we tried to do, once we got flame in the pillbox, but close enough to get the flame in, it, we still weren't sure whether that would exterminate all the people in there. So we would then try to put a demolition charge in the pillbox to make sure that the, if the flamethrower didn't get them, then the explosion would. You were both using the flamethrower, and then you were setting off the detonations. Yeah, we had lost so many Marines in attempting to advance on the island that we just didn't have enough Marines to go around. So sometimes you had to do two jobs whether you wanted to do it or not. And I didn't have it after a period of time. I had four Marines assisting me in the beginning, but two of them were killed. I had very little help, so you got to do what you got to do. If I understand it, in, in the citation for the Congressional Medal of Honor, you personally were involved in taking out seven pillboxes. Isn't that kind of amazing? Some of them were small and some of them were larger pillboxes. A flamethrower, if you were to, and we did this in training and practice, of course, just open it up and fire it 
without letting up on it, it would last 72 seconds. Did you have to change or recharge? When you're taking out seven different pillboxes, you can't do that with just one flamethrower load of fuel, can you? No, I used up six flamethrowers. We were trained that you use only what you have to, and we would fire them usually in a three to a five-second or maybe 30-second burst, and it would create a huge ball of fire that you could really roll on the ground and roll it into a cave or roll it into a pillbox. And once we did that, then we would continue advance to where we could get close enough to make sure that we could get the flame in the one or the other, whichever we were doing. You lost two riflemen during this process. Do you remember them, or were they new to you? No, I don't. Some of them I do. There's, there's a couple or three of them that have never left my mind, but some of them I do not. And I have tried to find professional people, psychologists or somebody, that could explain to me why I can't remember that. How did I get my extra flamethrowers? I'm reasonably sure none of the Marines back there said, uh, hey, he's out of flamethrowers, I'll go take him one. I don't think that ever happened, but I, I still don't know how I got them. And it's bothered me all my life of why can't I remember that? Because it was certainly critical to achieving the job. That's remarkable. So you were singled out as one of the people who really helped us win one of the most bitter fights of the entire Second World War, and you got to see President Truman. For a boy from West Virginia, what was that like to go to the White House and see the president? Well, you have never seen a more scared boy in your life, because I was so frightened when I walked up to him to have him present the Medal of Honor to me. My body was shaking so violently that I, I just couldn't be still. And I guess that's adrenaline. I don't know what it was, but it certainly was not a comfortable moment. Much of what he said that day, I don't remember either. One thing I do remember him saying, and he said this in different ways. There were 13 of us that day who received the Medal of Honor that they already been approved before the war was over, but they were not going to call us back just to present a Medal of Honor to us. So when the war ended, then they called those that had already been approved by the Congress and signed by the president. They brought us all back from the South Pacific and presented them all at the same time. And there were six Navy corpsmen, seven Marines, there were 13 of us, presented the medal alphabetically, so I'm next to last. Out of the, I was number 12, and by that time I had built up a set of nerves you wouldn't believe, and I was really frightened, scared, anxious, whatever you want to call it. But I do remember him saying to me, as he said to the other uh, recipients in different ways, that he said to me, I'd rather have this medal than to be president. I remember that. You were more nervous seeing President Truman than you were taking out pillboxes. You are absolutely right, because at least I was very conscious of what was going on when I was receiving the medal. And when I was in combat, all you think about is getting the job done and keeping yourself alive. So those were the two principal things 
that you work on at that point in time. So if I'm counting correctly, you're now, what, 95 years old? That is correct, sir. Yes. I'll be 96 in October. And you created the Herschel Woody Williams Congressional Medal of Honor Education Foundation. What's the purpose of that? The purpose of it is, is to recognize the families, the relatives of those who have sacrificed their lives in the armed forces of our country. We have done a pretty good job recognizing Gold Star Mothers, and we all know that our mothers were basically, mostly, closer to us, or we were closer to them than we were even dad. But in all those years that we talked about Gold Star Mothers and some communities erected memorials and tributes to Gold Star Mothers, nobody ever mentioned Gold Star Dad or any member of the family, the widow, the children, the grandparents, cousins, the aunts, the uncles. Nobody ever talked about them. But when you lose a loved one as a member of your family, regardless of how close you may be, you're still related, and there is a certain amount of grief takes place. But we've never done anything in this country to honor the families of those who sacrificed their lives. So we took on the project of having communities where these people live do a all-star family memorial monument that pays tribute to those families. And we did the first one in West Virginia on October the 2nd, 2013. We did it, selfishly, for West Virginia families because we have a memorial on our Capitol grounds that has 11,424 names inscribed on it of West Virginians who have sacrificed their lives in the armed forces. And we have never done anything to pay tribute to those families. So I decided, I, I came up with the idea and presented it to a group of people, and they said, well, yes, that, we need to do that. We should have done it a long time ago. I designed the memorial, and we built the first one. The second one was done at Valley Forge. Now we have 47 of them somewhere in the country, from Guam to California, and New York to Florida and Texas and all over, paying tribute to those families in those communities. And West Virginia, I'm very proud to say, we already have five in various communities of our state. We've got two more in the process. And in October the 2nd, coming up this year, we will dedicate one that is twice the size of any other in the country on our capital grounds to pay tribute to all families, every family in the state that lost a loved one for our freedom and for America. That's really great. And people who'd like to help with this project can go to the Herschel Woody Williams Congressional Medal of Honor Education Foundation can support you. Yes, indeed. And we, we'd love to have that because we have no means of actual support we go to these communities, and I do a lot of speaking engagements, and they do give us honorariums occasionally, and I devote all of that to the foundation because that needs to be done. And even today, Mr. Speaker, in the capital of our great United States of America, 
we do not have one single thing of all the monuments or memorials. We do not have one thing in this capital of this country that pays tribute and honor to the families who have sacrificed more than any of us. Nothing. To me, that is just a total shame. So that ought to be the center point where our country would recognize all of these families over the history of our country that have given one of their own, part of themselves, so we could be free. Right. Listen, thank you so much for sharing your life with us. Thank you, sir. Herschel Woody Williams now lies in state inside the West Virginia Capitol Rotunda in Charleston. The public is invited to pay their respects on Sunday from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. His funeral is planned for Sunday, July 3rd from 4 p.m. to 5.15 p.m. at the West Virginia Culture Center in Charleston. We honor his legacy and his service to our country. Newt's World is produced by Gingrich 360 and iHeartMedia. Our executive producer is Garnsey Sloan. Our producer is Rebecca Howe. And our researcher is Rachel Peterson. The artwork for the show was created by Steve Penley. Special thanks to the team at Gingrich 360. If you've been enjoying Newt's World, I hope you'll go to Apple Podcast and both rate us with five stars and give us a review so others can learn what it's all about. Right now, listeners of Newt's World can sign up for my three free weekly columns at Gingrich360.com slash newsletter. I'm Newt Gingrich. This is Newt's World. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. 
VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.